and welcome back to the third episode of Band-Aid Therapy, a mental health podcast run by me, Millie Azim, a training psychological well-being practitioner, where we talk about some common mental health-related difficulties like low mood, anxiety, panic, stress, and more, and how to cope with them using CBT-based self-help strategies. Now, if that sounds like your thing, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a pretty big topic, which is depression, and more specifically, how you can use those CBT-based strategies in order to lift your mood and regain a sense of well-being. So if you'd like to stick around, what we'll do is just kind of talk a little bit about how we'll introduce these topics. The main ones that we're going to talk about today are behavioral activation, which is a behavioral-based strategy that focuses on this idea that the more you do, the better that you can feel in depression. We'll also talk about thought challenging, which really focuses on combating negative, unhelpful thoughts in depression and kind of the role of that in maintaining low mood. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about rumination and a strategy called rumination time to help us stop dwelling so much about the really difficult things that have happened in our past and find more helpful ways to move forward. Now, before we begin, I do want to just share a little bit about kind of what depression is um, and you know, what the the different causes can be and how it can sometimes be treated. So in a really quick nutshell, depression is a very common mental health related difficulty that about one in 20 of us worldwide will experience at any given point in our lives. Now there are two really key hallmarks of depression and the first one is a a depressed mood and um, this might mean feelings of sadness, feeling quite low, um, sometimes feeling numb or irritable. And the second really big key factor of depression is a lack of interest or a lack of pleasure in our lives. So really noticing that everything becomes a little bit harder, a little bit more dull and um, just the different effects that that can have on our on our minds, on our bodies, and on our well-being. Now, some other common symptoms are things like a feeling of um, tiredness and fatigue. So there are massive physical effects to depression. Um, noticing aches and pains in our body can be quite common. It can also be common to have um, feelings of guilt or worthlessness. Um, We might notice changes to our appetite and even weight loss or weight gain. And it can also be really common to have thoughts of being better off dead or hurting yourself in some way. Now, if you are experiencing depression or you know somebody who's experiencing depression and they've mentioned having these sorts of thoughts, um, I would really urge you to um, take a moment to um, perhaps think about how you can receive some support with that as it can be a quite um, difficult and distressing part of depression. And while not everybody experiences it, there are a lot of options for support, things like talking to friends and family, 
if that's not an option available to you, um, contacting your doctor or um, contacting uh, mental health helplines can be a really great resource. And of course, in any acute emotional crisis, um, emergency services are always available to support individuals who might be having any thoughts of harming themselves. So those are just a couple of uh, key important things that I wanted to to go over before we started today's episode um, because there's so many different things that can contribute to depression. Um, oftentimes we might notice that we're feeling depressed because of adverse life events. Um, there's also a biological factor to depression. So we do know that family history might make us a little bit more prone to being depressed. Um, Things like alcohol or substance use can lead to depression, becoming a parent, life transitions, um, as well as um, physical illnesses can be a cause of depression as well. So these are all kind of things that are important to keep in mind. Now when it comes to treating depression, there's a lot of different options out there. One of those options might just um, be things like uh, lifestyle changes, so changes to things like exercising more, really, really great in in helping depression, Um, changes to diet, um, changes in kind of any adverse life circumstances, so if you're in um, a a situation where, you know, you you need to be able to get out of a really bad situation, like needing to move, needing to leave a really unhelpful relationship, those things can start to lift mood. There's also a medication approach. So there are medications available for depression, antidepressants, um, that can be prescribed for some individuals um, that can start to help with depressive symptoms. And there's also talking therapies that can help with depression. So there's many, many different types of talking therapies. There's CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the type of therapy that I practice. Um, There's also things like interpersonal therapy, psychodynamic therapy, um, art therapy. There's there's so many different types of therapy um, that all have kind of different approaches into how they support individuals with depression. Now, for our purposes and kind of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy based treatments, um, the way that we start to kind of understand depression is really through that vicious cycle that I've talked about a lot before in kind of other podcast episodes. So I won't go too, too far into it. But in general, the vicious cycle of depression might look like having really negative or overly self-critical thoughts um, or having very repetitive thoughts um, about adverse life events or about the situation. Um, Common feelings like um, feeling quite numb, feeling sad, feeling guilty, worthless, hopeless, all of those sorts of things. The physical symptoms we already kind of talked about, feeling fatigued, tired, aches and pains in our body. And then the behaviors of depression tend to be things like avoidance, withdrawal, um, not engaging in the things that we used to do. We might also ruminate a lot, um, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So understanding that vicious cycle of depression in the CBT model really starts to help us understand how we can use CBT strategies to help alleviate some of those low mood symptoms. Now, one of the 
biggest strategies that we use in CBT for depression is something called behavioral activation. So behavioral activation is the strategy that really looks to address the behaviors part of the vicious cycle in depression. Now, if you recall what I just mentioned there, one of the really big hallmark symptoms of depression is things like isolating ourselves, not socializing as much. We might start to avoid difficult tasks that are understandably really, really difficult when you're feeling depressed and achy and tired. Um, That might be things like um, household chores. That might be even really big things like going to the doctor, paying our bills. So all of those behaviors start to get addressed with this behavioral activation strategy. Now, in the most basic sense, behavioral activation is essentially a way to get us active again. So that's right in the name. And it focuses on this idea that the more that we're able to do, the better that we'll feel. So it's a really simple um, process but actually kind of doing it, it can be a little bit easier said than done. But we'll kind of explain what those steps are for behavioral activation. And it's actually a strategy that if you are experiencing low mood symptoms, you can start to implement on on your own. Now having therapy support can give you that option as well if that does um, become relevant to you or if you do need that support. But BA can also be a really, really quite straightforward self-help approach. So what BA does, as I mentioned, is it addresses the avoidance part of depression. And often when we're depressed, what we think in kind of CBT therapy is that we tend to avoid kind of three key categories of activities. And those are our routine activities, our necessary activities, and our pleasurable activities. Now, all three of these activities are really, really important to understand. And the first kind of step of behavioral activation is to start to notice what of those activities are you perhaps avoiding and also just kind of gaining stock of what you might already be doing. So one thing that I think really comes up a lot in depression, um, I've said it before when I was going through um, some really difficult times in my life and experienced depression myself, Um, I also have heard a lot of my patients say this to me as well, Um, and it's this idea that when we're depressed, um, we feel like we're doing nothing. So you'll often hear somebody who's depressed say, well, I did nothing today, or I don't really feel like doing anything, just my days are filled with nothing. Which is an interesting thing to say because it surely can feel that way, but if you think about it from a human perspective, it's actually really quite impossible for us to be doing nothing at all. We're always doing something that's a part of kind of being alive, a part of being human. So starting to acknowledge what we're doing is important. Now in depression, that might mean staying in bed more, not going out as much, um, kind of mindlessly scrolling through our phone or closing our eyes and trying to tune out the world or getting immersed in, you know, the land of Netflix. So while all of these things might feel like doing quote unquote nothing because they're not necessarily what we might think of as kind of productive tasks or um, 
you know, kind of active tasks, they are still doing something. So we want to start to acknowledge what we're doing. And we can start to do that by using what's called a baseline activity diary. Now, if you are interested in trying this out, you can just Google um, activity diary or BA, which is short for behavioral activation diary. Um, and it basically can bring up um, essentially like a, a, a timetable. It has all the days of the week, a bunch of different hours in the day. And you just start to note down really specifically what's happening in your day. So say between the hours of four in the morning and 2 p.m. you're asleep, you note that down. Um, say, you know, you do um, your morning routine if you have one um, for between, uh, you know, 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. So you just, you just start to note down what you're doing. And this can be a bit of a difficult process when you're feeling quite depressed. Um, you might notice that your diary isn't looking perhaps as full as maybe it used to. And that's understandable. And we want to be kind to ourselves when we're starting this, this part of behavioral activation. Just to notice that it is really quite hard to do these sorts of things when we're feeling depressed. Now... The reasons that we do this is because understanding what we're avoiding is really important to understand what we need to reintroduce into our lives or have a little bit more of or have a little bit more balance of in order to start feeling better. Because avoiding activities can essentially give us a sense of what we call temporary relief. So it can feel really, really good to cancel plans. It can feel really, really good to skip that shower for the day because it's just too hard. But that relief doesn't really last for too long and can get us really trapped in that cycle of depression. So what we'll want to do is start to reintroduce activities that give us a sense of achievement, a sense of um, connectedness with others and a sense of enjoyment as well. So we can call these ACE activities. All of these things are really the antidote to depression in many ways and the things that we find really hard to do are often the things that if we are able to somehow do can start to lift us out of that mood. So we're focusing then on these ACE activities in that routine, necessary, pleasurable categories. So what does that even mean? What are routine, necessary, pleasurable activities? Well, routine activities are those important regular activities that you might do kind of on a daily or weekly basis that help us get a bit of structure, predictability, and routine into our lives. And that's really key for depression because what depression can often do is kind of sap away the ability to have that structure. Everything can start to feel kind of like a whirlwind, like a spiral, like nothing's really in our control. So routine activities are really, really important to start introducing, and this might look like having a routine for sleep, a routine for bedtime and waking. This might mean having a, a more structured routine for um, eating and your meal times, uh, routines for self-care, and then other routine activities just like cleaning up around the house, doing household chores. Um, for some individuals, routine activities might 
mean like work-related tasks. So there's loads of routine activities that um, can be important here. Next are necessary activities. So these are essentially activities where if you didn't do them, um, neglecting them can lead to some really adverse consequences. And these are things like maybe um, having difficult conversations with somebody that you might be putting off. Um, this might mean uh, deadlines, work-related tasks, or um, school-related tasks. This might even mean things like looking after your physical health and going to the doctors, um, repairing things around the house that need to be repaired. So these are necessary activities. You might not be doing them every single day, so they're not necessarily routine, but they are really important to address anyways. And finally, there's the pleasurable activities. So these are the things that give us a bit of enjoyment in our lives, things that kind of lead to um, a feeling of well-being and just general happiness. Sometimes this can lead to a state of um, flow, which is a concept where we're really just immersed in an activity and enjoying it. And this can be really anything. It can be big things like socializing with others. Um, this can be things that we do for hobbies like reading, playing games. Um, if you've ever been really quite depressed, you might know that even kind of things like that can become really hard to do. So all of these things um, are, are a part of pleasurable activities. Um, it can even be as simple as making yourself a cup of tea. So that can be a pleasurable activity that, you know, you incorporate into the structure of your day. Now, if you do ever struggle with coming up with pleasurable activities when you're feeling quite depressed, um, first of all, understand that that's normal. We talked a little bit about, you know, one of the common symptoms of depression is a loss of interest and pleasure in daily activities. So I often get people saying, you know, that's all good and well, Millie, but how am I supposed to pick pleasurable activities when nothing feels good? So that's a really good point. But we still want to try to give ourselves the opportunities to feel pleasure, even if we're not necessarily feeling that right at first. So good activities to think about are perhaps maybe activities that used to give you a sense of enjoyment before you noticed feeling low. Um, it could be new things that you've kind of always wanted to try out. And again, it can be those really little things for pleasure as well, um, like, you know, making a cup of tea, as I mentioned, um, like taking a cute picture um, of something cute in your house and just, you know, admiring your, your iPhone camera uh, photo taking skills. So there's so many little things that, um, that can go into that. Um, there's a really great list online. It's called, um, I think, 101 Fun Activities. So if you're ever stuck, you can give that a look. Now, once you've started to identify what sorts of activities um, are relevant to you in, in your behavioral activation strategy, um, it's really important to write them down. So you might start to notice that, you know, you've been perhaps avoiding a lot of routine activities, um, but you've been doing the necessary stuff and that you've been doing the pleasurable stuff to a degree, but that routine is missing a little bit. Um, 
and you might start to notice that there's an imbalance somewhere else you're doing all the routine necessary stuff but not really spending any time on pleasurable things um again it can be understandable to do that sometimes when we're feeling depressed we might not feel like we deserve to feel enjoyment so we might start to kind of just think well i just need to get what i need to get done and nothing else really matters so writing those down and noticing those activities is really really important because what we'll start to do in the later steps of behavioral activation is implementing them back into your life in a really really gradual slow and simple way so the way that you start to think about that is the next step is ranking those activities in the order of their difficulty so now that you've got routine necessary pleasurable activities on a scale of one to ten how hard are they to do so if you've noticed that you've been avoiding say uh doing the laundry you've been kind of avoiding seeing some friends um uh and you've been maybe avoiding uh, a doctor's visit um how hard are those activities so it could be that you know doing the laundry is kind of a three out of ten hard to do it's not necessarily the hardest task but um it's something that you're really putting off maybe seeing friends is 10 out of 10 really hard you're really not in that in that mood to want to do that um and then you know just again right ranking those once you've done that just having a bit of a look about how you can start scheduling in those activities, breaking them down into smaller chunks and putting them into your day. So this is again where a diary comes really in handy. And you might say, I'm not a person who likes to schedule, um, I'm not a person who likes to kind of organize those things, and that's really understandable. I'm not at all either. But the importance of actually setting a plan becomes really, really, really important in just a bit here. So once you've ranked those activities, for your next week, try to find some places where you can start to have a bit of that balance of RNP or routine necessary pleasurable activities into your life. And you want to have really a balance as much as you can so it's not really enough to just fill your day with routine activities fill your day with pleasurable activities um and the reason for that can be understood like this so imagine you have a stool and it's a three-legged stool where each of the legs represent routine necessary and pleasurable tasks now what happens if one of the, the legs of that stool is shorter than the other? You might start to notice that you start to teeter over a little bit, or you might start to notice that it's hard to keep your balance, or you might even fall over if it's really uneven. So that's why it's important to have that balance. Now some people might say, you know, I just need to feel happy and I'll feel less depressed. So they focus all of their energy on pleasurable activities. But just a sense of happiness really isn't the antidote to depression. Although it might kind of feel that way, 
Um, happiness itself is not the opposite of depression. With depression, again, we want that sense of achievement that comes with doing routine activities. Even small daily doses like brushing our teeth, combing our hair, those little senses of achievement can be really, really important. We want that opportunity to feel a bit of enjoyment as well, of course. And those necessary tasks are really, really important as well because the consequences of not doing them can maintain our depression. So there's kind of a lot there, but I hope that makes sense as to why these activities are really, really important to focus on when we're feeling quite low. Now, the next part is often the hardest part, which is scheduling and implementing. So those are the four steps of behavioral activation, and these are steps three and four. So in terms of scheduling, you want to, as I mentioned, think about really realistically what your day looks like. So if, say, laundry is a big task for you, something that you might have been putting off, I know that was one of the absolute hardest task for me when I was really depressed. I'm not really sure why, but I just hated doing it. And I, I just would see all the clothes piled up on my floor and I just couldn't really wrap my mind around doing it. So when I started to schedule those activities, it's important to break them up into manageable steps. So for me, that was 10 out of 10, way too hard to do. But what was a little bit easier to do was gathering my clothes and putting them in front of the washer. That was kind of a three out of 10. Putting them in the wash itself was another kind of 3 out of 10. Turning on the washer for whatever reason was kind of a little bit harder, uh, 4 out of 10. But I broke that 10 out of 10 difficulty up into small manageable chunks and I spread it throughout my week. So that's kind of um, an approach that you can take if you're feeling really, really low and really noticing that motivation and things like that are really difficult to do. Now, I would tell myself, you know, at 4 p.m., no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to go ahead and do that first part of my activity. Um, I'm going to do it alone. So you want to think about like who, what, when, where, and why. I need to be at home in order to do this. So you want to kind of give yourself all of the opportunities to actually successfully do that task. And you also want to try to set yourself up for success as much as you can. So when you're implementing these routine, necessary, and pleasurable activities, um, if you overschedule your diary and don't really account for how hard things can be when you're feeling depressed, you might notice that you're having a lot of setbacks and that can then you know, make this exercise really ineffective. If doing these things are too hard to do, you're not going to feel really any better. So you want to account for what you're capable of doing, given how low you might be feeling. A way to kind of understand why that's important, you can think a little bit of it, about it as, imagine you've got a broken leg, and we'll, we'll kind of think of depression as having a broken leg. You wouldn't necessarily run a marathon as soon as you've, you know, broken your leg and you're trying to heal. You might have a little bit of a rest period. You might start to take baby steps. You might, you know, 
walk across the room one day and then walk across the hall and then build up to that marathon. So it's the same thing you want to do when you're scheduling in these activities. Start small. There's no shame in starting small. And you want to honor and acknowledge how hard depression can be um, while still, you know, making changes, making those behavioral changes. So that's that scheduling part of the step. Now, finally, it's implementing, actually doing the darn thing, because a schedule or a plan is all well and good, but only if you actually do it. So I know when I was really quite depressed, you know, I had all of these plans. I knew what I needed to do. I thought, you know, I'm going to do this, that, this, and whatever tomorrow. Um, and then tomorrow came and I'm like, mm, no, it's not going to happen. So a plan doesn't really matter if you don't actually do it. So the way to really kind of think about how you can start implementing these activities when you're feeling depressed, because motivation is not going to come easy if you're feeling low, is to use what's called the outside-in approach. And this is a theory that motivation doesn't necessarily need to come from within. You don't need to feel motivated to do a task in order to do it. If you're able to just start the task, just show up, do say the first minute of it, the motivation will start to build in on its own. And so this becomes really important because the key like message of behavioral activation, it's almost become a mantra for me, is follow the plan, not the mood. So you've got the plan, now you need to follow it. And it doesn't matter how you're feeling. It doesn't matter how bad you're feeling or how low you are. If you go with, oh, I'll do this when I feel happier or I'll do this when I get the motivation, you're never going to get it done and boom, we're back in that cycle of depression. So we want to use that outside in approach. What that means is that the things that we do externally can actually start to make us feel better internally. Now, sometimes we think the opposite is true, that if we feel better internally, we'll be able to do the things externally. So we really want to kind of think about, you know, how can we make it so we're able to just show up for that activity, do it regardless of how we're feeling, and start to lift our mood in that way. A really good tool for that is something called the two-minute rule, where once you've got your plan of what you want to do, um, don't tell yourself you need to do all of it. Just tell yourself just the first two minutes. So if it's making a phone call to your friend because you haven't been socializing for a while, just pick up your phone. That's the first step. Start to write that message. Take your time. It's okay. You're just doing the first two minutes. And then, you know, if you decide you really, really don't want to do it, you can stop. But you might actually start to notice that that motivation actually starts to kick in once you've started doing it. And you can start to use that momentum to start building up to the harder tasks in that hierarchy you created earlier for your routine, necessary, and pleasurable tasks. 
So that's kind of a really big introduction, um, a little bit longer than I thought that uh, that it would be um, into behavioral activation, but it really is the key, key, key strategy of managing low mood in CBT therapy. It's a behavioral, uh, behavioral type of um, uh, treatment. Um, it's something that you can actually do. There are really tangible effects. You can see the progress. You can see that I've done this, this, and that. And if you remember back to the cycle, if we can change what we're able to do, the mood, the, the emotions, the physical symptoms, all of those things start to lift. So behavioral activation can be such a brilliant strategy um, for being able to do that. Now, there are a lot of other things that can be discussed about behavioral activation, um, but what I might do is kind of revisit that at some other point. Um, I think those are the really key basics. So as a recap, with behavioral activation, you're addressing avoidance and low mood. You're identifying the activities that you're doing when you're feeling depressed. You're also identifying the activi activities that you might be avoiding. You're thinking about how to implement routine, necessary, and pleasurable tasks into your life in a gradual way, and you're actually scheduling them. You're creating a really strict plan that allows for, you know, flexibility because flexibility is needed in life. So you want to create it kind of a couple days in advance where you can move things around if they need to be moved around. But then when it actually comes down to it, you're doing those activities. You're following the plan, not the mood, and remembering that motivation follows action. Action creates motivation and we don't need to wait for it in order to start. So with that whirlwind said, let's move on to another strategy that you can use for managing low mood. And we'll go a little bit quickly through it because I think it really deserves um, kind of its own episode because there's so many things that you can kind of talk about when it comes to this. And that strategy is called thought challenging or cognitive restructuring. In a really quick nutshell of what thought challenging or cognitive restructuring is, it's a way of noticing, first of all, what sorts of thoughts do you have when you're experiencing um, not only low mood, this can actually apply to a lot of other um, mental health related difficulties, but in low mood, noticing kind of what's going through your mind when you're feeling depressed. So oftentimes these can be really quite negative thoughts, they can be um, quite harsh, quite critical, and they can also be really unhelpful to our well-being. So in CBT, we can call these negative automatic thoughts. So that's NAP for short. And kind of like gnats, like the bug, they can tend to just kind of pop up and really bother us. So this can be thoughts like, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. What's the point in anything? Everything sucks. I can't believe this happened to me. Um, all of these really quite negative critical thoughts that can come up. So the first part of thought challenging is just noticing that you're having these thoughts and trying to create actually a little bit of healthy distance between yourself and those thoughts. And 
really trying to remind yourself that thoughts are not facts. So that's a key concept here because we can have thousands of thoughts in a day, so many things, our minds are always active, but when we're feeling low, we can really start to believe the thoughts that we have, especially if they're negative and kind of automatically popping up in our brains. So the way that we notice them is, say I'm having thoughts in my mind, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, etc., Rather than kind of engaging in those thoughts and kind of mulling them over in my mind, I might say, I've noticed I'm having the thought that I'm a failure. And already we're creating a little bit of distance between yourself and that thought. So rather than just saying, I'm a failure, and really, really believing that, we're saying, I'm having this thought. Now, once we're able to catch the negative thoughts that we might be having, or the unhelpful thoughts that we might be having, we'll start to do this process called thought challenging. Now, in order to do that, it can be a little bit helpful as well to understand kind of where or why those negative thoughts are coming up. And that's often due to a lot of us having this really, really common way of thinking, um, or ways of thinking rather, called unhelpful thinking styles, often known as cognitive distortions within the CBT world as well. And those unhelpful thinking styles might mean things like black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking, where everything's all good or it's all bad. So I had a really, really awful childhood, everything about it was awful, or that other person is really, really perfect and they have nothing bad in their lives, um, therefore I have this really, really crappy life. Um, It can also be uh, other cognitive distortions like um, mental filtering, so we only count the bad stuff that happens to us and never the good. We filter out any kind of positive event, big or small, um, and just focus on, you know, the bad stuff. So say I was late to work one day, and then I just have this thought, you know, I'm having such a crappy day, this is the worst day ever, because I got started late, and then everything went wrong, rather than kind of thinking, oh, but you know, I, you know, caught up on a work email, or, you know, I did something um, good today, or I had a meal, and really discounting all of those positives, or, um, uh, you know, not as negative thoughts. Other uh, common cognitive distortions are things like compare and despair, so we might start to compare ourselves to other people and start to feel really bad about it. We might mind read, um, where we basically assume we know exactly what somebody else is thinking. So we look at somebody and they look back at us and we think, oh, they think I'm such a loser. They think I can't do anything right. They think I'm ugly without really having any context other than our own minds for why we think that they might be thinking that. So understanding these can help us catch those thoughts and prepare us to challenge them. So let's go with an example for this time. Let's go with the thought, I'm a failure. How can you start to challenge that? Now, a really common response that I might get from, say, patients if I bring this up to them, or even I've done it before, is to think, you know, I should just have really, really positive thoughts to kind of 
start challenging those um, more negative, unhelpful ones, um, which is all fine and well um, in some sense. You know, we we do know that being um, optimistic can help with depression, um, being a little bit more upbeat, um, but sheer relentless positivity, and I've said this before, doesn't really address the actual issue of depression. It doesn't acknowledge why we're feeling bad. So it can actually be a little bit problematic to just, you know, quote unquote, think happy thoughts that won't actually really do much for us. And positive thoughts, again, are not the antidote to depression. So what can you do instead? Now, once you've noticed that unhelpful thought, the first thing that you can do is think about the evidence for that thought. And you do want to do this as the first step. Why am I thinking this thought? What's the evidence? So if it's I'm a failure, the evidence might be, well, I was at work the other day and I I got told off by my boss for um, making a mistake on um, one of the reports that I did. Um, or maybe I'm a failure because in the sixth grade, um, I didn't get picked for, you know, um, a team captain for the sports club. Can you tell that I didn't play sports as a kid? Um, so whatever it may be, we've got all of these thoughts, you know, that come up and all of these evidence, um, that might, might be contributing to why we think we're a failure. And we want to acknowledge that because those thoughts aren't coming from nowhere and not kind of respecting or honoring or acknowledging that there might be some basis to why we're having those thoughts kind of ignores or minimizes the experiences that we're going through. So let's acknowledge it. They're situation specific. There's some reasons why we're feeling this way. But now, Let's think about the evidence against the thought, because again, a thought is just a thought, and it's not a fact, it's not necessarily true. The, th- the types of thoughts that we have in depression as well can be really absolute, so I am a failure is a really strong statement, and there should or hopefully there could be ways um, that we can think of evidence against the thought. So the evidence against the thought might be, um, I've got a roof over my head, so maybe, you know, things are all bad. Um, I also got some praise from the same boss who told me off um, for a different project that I've done. Um, I know I'm capable of, you know, achieving different things in my life. Um, So there's all this evidence against that thought. Now, I do want to say what I didn't mention before is when you're coming up with the evidence for and against these thoughts, it's really important to keep them as evidence. And you want to almost think like you're a lawyer or a scientist when you're doing this. So imagine when you're challenging these thoughts, when you come up with evidence for the thought, it's not enough to say, well, I feel like a failure or, you know, I just know it. That's not really evidence. Um, for example, if you went to court and somebody was on trial for robbery, it would never stand up in court if you said, well, I really feel like that guy did it. Or I, I don't know, I just, you know, in my heart, I, I know she's 
a, a thief or I know they, you know, they're really prone to being a thief or whatever. That's not really evidence. So you want to keep it in the facts. What actually happened? What is actually true in our reality? Not the reality we've constructed in our minds. So now, you know, we've got the evidence for, we've got the evidence against. So the last part of thought challenging is creating an alternative balanced thought and saying it to ourselves. So say we have the thought, I'm a failure. It's repeating in our minds. It's negative. It's automatic. It's happening all the time. We catch it. We notice it. I'm having the thought, I'm a failure. I've done the evidence for and against. And now I'm telling myself, I'm having the thought that I'm a failure because I didn't do so well at work the other day. Um, but I'm also somebody who's quite capable and I've done other good things before. So while I may have done poorly in this circumstance, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm always a failure. It's a bit wordy. It's not as catchy as I'm a failure. But if we can start combating those automatic negative thoughts with these more helpful, more balanced thoughts, not just, you know, super positive, everything's sunshine and daisies and everything's fine and I'm awesome, but these, you know, acknowledging the good, acknowledging the bad types of thoughts, we can really start to cut through that vicious cycle of depression, cut through the impact of those really negative thoughts and start to notice that, you know, the things that we tell ourselves start to improve our mood. So why does this happen? If we're always having the thoughts that, you know, we're not good enough, we're not, um, we're never going to be happy, of course we're going to feel sad and depressed and bad about ourselves. But if we tell ourselves, you know, these are situation-specific circumstances or, you know, this won't last forever, there are some ways that I can cope, that can really start to bring up emotions of not only sadness, guilt, and, and feeling numb, but also hope and um, a sense of worth and a sense of optimism to kind of counteract those really depressive symptoms. So that's a little bit about thought challenging and there's so much more that can be said about kind of what cognitive restructuring is as it really is kind of the key um, C part of CBT, that cognitive part of cognitive behavioral therapy and is often kind of what gets um, a lot of time spent on if say you were to start a CBT type of uh, therapy treatment. Uh, but just in the interest of time, as this is already um, a longer episode than I anticipated it would be, um, what I'll do is just move us on to talk about the last strategy that I wanted to quickly share, and that's called rumination time. Now, rumination time is um, a concept that's borrowed from a worry management strategy um, in CBT for anxiety. Um, what worry management, or sorry, what worry time is, is essentially a short amount of time, about 20 minutes in your day, where you spend worrying about all of the things that you might be worried about in, say, generalized anxiety disorder, where there's a lot of anxiety about a lot of different things, um, but really curbing the amount of time you spend on it, so you're able to do the other more important and valuable things in your life. 
So with rumination, it's the same concept. Instead of worry um, worries that you're focusing on, which tend to be kind of future-oriented um, or kind of uh, thoughts about things that might happen or could happen um, that leads to feeling anxious, it focuses on the behavior of rumination that is very common in depression. So what is rumination before we talk about what rumination time is? One way to kind of think about rumination is it's just, it's that thing that we do when we're feeling really depressed where we keep going over and over the same thoughts in our mind, the same situations, the same bad stuff that happened before, or really dwell on one particular negative thought that, you know, I'm not good enough, and we just keep thinking about all the ways it's true and all of the different things that contribute to it or you know for example say we've had a breakup and we think about all the things that went wrong and all of the good times and that can really get us really stuck in the past and just kind of thinking about those situations um we might think about what we could have done better what you know could have prevented this really awful thing from happening And that, in short, is rumination. And a lot of us ruminate when we're feeling quite depressed. Um, But in many ways, it's just not necessarily a helpful behavior because it can take away from our ability to do other things. So if we think about rumination as a behavior, even though it's thoughts that we're having, it's something that we're kind of doing or engaging in, whether that's on purpose or not. And when we do something, it can be really hard to do something else. So as humans, we're not the best multitaskers. So if you're noticing that you're ruminating a lot, but then also struggling to concentrate on things like your chores and things like, you know, your, say, behavioral activation plan, that might be because you're already doing something. How are you going to wash the dishes if your mind's somewhere else and you're actively engaging in this process of rumination? So understanding the role of rumination and depression can be really quite important and helpful in managing depressive symptoms. Um, Oftentimes with the behavioral activation strategy that we talked about before, it can be really hard to do those activities, those routine necessary pleasurable things, um, because we're spending a lot of time ruminating. So what I wanted to kind of quickly share before I discuss rumination time actually, is where rumination gets its name from. So it's a bit of a funny kind of, uh, maybe a little bit gross story where that that concept comes from. Um, But essentially rumination, comes from uh, something that cows do in order to digest their food. So cows have um, one stomach but four compartments. So sometimes we we say that, you know, cows have four stomachs. Um, And basically they process their food many, many, many times over. So what will happen is say there's a cow in the field and they are, you know, chewing some grass. What they'll do is they'll chew, they'll chew, they'll chew, they'll, you know, keep chewing that grass down until it's basically this mush that we call cud. And then they bring it down into their first part of their stomach and then they kind of process it a little bit in there and then they 
regurgitate it all the way back up they chew it again they chew 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 and then it comes back down their throats goes into another part of the stomach they process it a little bit there and then it comes back up and they chew it again and it, it just kind of repeats until finally they've processed it and that's kind of what we do when we ruminate so we keep going over and over, redigesting, you know, these events of the past or say we were in a social situation and we keep thinking about what happened, how I acted, what did other people think of me. Um, so we keep doing that about these past events. Now, I already mentioned how that can be such a big um, distraction and uh really hard to kind of do anything else if we're ruminating. So what rumination time aims to do is cut the amount of time that you spend doing that. Now it's not a necessary thing that you need to do as a part of say a, a, a depression uh, treatment, but it's essentially where you take about 20 minutes of your day and you schedule in that rumination. You account for the fact that it's going to happen, but you get a little bit extra control about when it will. So say you set your rumination time to six o'clock and between six and 6.20, you get to ruminate. You get to think about, you know, how that breakup happened. You get to think about a really sad thing that happened in your life. Um, all of that stuff, that time is yours. You get to do whatever you want with it. Um, for some individuals, they might also start to do a little bit of thought challenging in that time, but that's not necessary. This is your time to be sad, to be, you know, thinking all the things that um, really hurt you throughout the day. Now, as soon as that timer goes off though, um, the really important thing is to come back to the present moment. We don't want to be stuck in the past anymore after that rumination time. We want to be able to do those activities that bring value to our lives, like those behavioral activation activities or whatever else it may be. So the, the kind of steps to that is scheduling that rumination time, um, and then the other step is when you're kind of going about your day, if you notice that you're starting to ruminate or you're noticing that your mind's kind of escaping back into the past, thinking about those um, really hard times or kind of mulling over um, those more negative or unhelpful thoughts, to gently bring your focus of attention back to the present moment, to engage your senses, to kind of ground yourself in your reality. So there's grounding techniques that you can use, like noticing one specific color in your environment. So you might, you know, say, I'm gonna look at all the blue things in my environment. And you look at the curtains and you look at the shelf and you look at whatever is around to kind of bring you back into the moment and bring you away from those ruminating thoughts. Um, there's also something called the 54321 grounding technique, which I won't really discuss here, but you can look up. Um, I might do grounding techniques in a later episode. But the point is, is that whenever you start to notice you're ruminating, bring yourself back. If you're in an activity, if you're at work, bring yourself back to that work. Bring yourself back to the walk that you're on and allow yourself to kind of engage in the present rather than the past, rather than those rumination thoughts. 
And if you find it difficult to do and you really want to ruminate, it can be worth kind of self-reflecting of what does that rumination do for you? Is it helpful to go back through those past events or is it hurting your present and keeping you from engaging in the life that you want now? So those are then the final strategies that I wanted to share about low mood and lifting low mood and managing depressive symptoms. And I realized that we've talked about a lot of different strategies today and a pretty heavy topic. You know, depression can be such an overwhelming thing to experience. I know I found it really, 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 really hard to go through the different depressive episodes of my life. So I'd like to invite you to just kind of take a moment, pause, take a deep breath, or let out a big sigh, like a big, which, you know, I think I needed for myself as well. And I think the final key message that I want to share with you for today's episode is with depression, it can often feel like, you know, there's so much to deal with that it's so hard and that can be really really understandable when you try to kind of lift out of that low mood it can be really hard work and honoring that and acknowledging that is so important it is difficult to do but there is some hope there that with these strategies, um, with other types of treatment, whatever it may be, all of those things can start to lift low mood. Low mood doesn't necessarily need to be a lifelong thing. And if you did find any of these strategies helpful, or if you have kind of questions, comments, concerns, whatever it may be, um, please do feel free to message me on Instagram at band-aid therapy um a lot of you have already been um really kindly um engaging with you know the stuff that i put on there um which is honestly so cool of you guys um i really do like to kind of um hear your feedback about what's important to talk about on this podcast if you are a listener um what your thoughts are on these strategies um so with that said, that does bring me to the end of today's episode of Band-Aid Therapy. Thank you again for listening, and I hope to see you next time.